Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Crossing this Super Bowl weekend. So glad that you have joined us. Um, let me give a shout out to also those who are joining us as well. The Crossing Midtown, the Crossing West Henderson, those watching online, our microsites. Can we just give them a great big welcome right now? We love you guys. Glad you're part of the Crossing family with us. Well, of course, I'm a Kansas City Chiefs fan, and Lee is a 49ers fan. And both of us have waited for years to see our teams get back to the Super Bowl. It's been 50 years for the Chiefs, and it might be another 50 years. I mean, who knows? So what do you do when you're on the opposing side of somebody else? Well, you make the loser wear the winner's jersey. So by this point next week, Lee's going to be wearing my Kansas City Chiefs jersey after the Chiefs win the Super Bowl today, right? Well, when it comes to, you know, resolving being on the opposite side of a silly game like football, we can do that. But it's not so easy when it comes to politics. In fact, I was reading a new survey that said eight out of ten Americans said that politics is the biggest stress in their life. And while typically I wouldn't hit politics in an election season with a ten-foot pole, I just think we need to talk about this stuff. I think we need to have a conversation around this. So we're starting a four-week series today called The Separation of Church and Hate. And there's two different groups of people here today. There are those of you who are really nervous about this series. This would be my wife. She's really nervous because she knows all the comments that I get whenever we do a series like this. And then there are those of you who are fired up that we are finally talking about politics in church. And it's no surprise as I begin to announce this series that I have had people on both sides of the political aisle get in touch with me and say, I am so glad you're doing this series because you need to tell those Republicans, you need to tell those Democrats, the political climate is so volatile that we see everything through the filter of red or blue. And the graphic of this series has even been controversial. That when our communications team was putting this together, they were having this discussion, do we put blue on top, red on the bottom? You know, are people going to try to read into it and go, oh, this must mean that, you know, Republicans equal hate. And so they begin to debate, how do we do this? And so they actually created two graphics for this series. And you will see both graphics all over our campus, and we've used both of them in our social media and on Sunday morning. So for some of you who have been going, oh, they are subtly telling us something that this political party equals hate. I hate to disappoint you. It's just a graphic. It's just a logo. But it shows how emotional this topic is to so many of us. When we started The Crossing 20 years ago, my vision was to have a multi-generational, multicultural, multiracial, multi-ethnic church. I love seeing older adults sitting next to young adults and teenagers, those who are affluent sitting next to the not-so-affluent, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, all worshiping together. And this includes political diversity as well. But this has not always been easy. We started as a church during the 2000 presidential elections. Now, I don't know if you remember about that election, 
but it had a lot of pregnant chads and hanging chads. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. And it took a month after the election before we knew who the next president would be. And some still contest that today. But in the run-up to the election, there was this guy at our church that was passing out voter guides to everybody who came into church that day. Now, if you don't know what voter guides are, voter guides are always one-sided depending on which political party is putting the voter guide out. And so as I see him doing this in the lobby, we have this big confrontation. And I told him, we are not passing those out today or ever. Well, he got mad at me. And he left the church, and he told me, he says, I'm going to go to a church that will stand up for the truth. So I began to look at other church leaders that I respect in regards to how they handled this issue. And I could not find a better example than Billy Graham. Because Billy Graham was, was pastor to both Republican and Democrat presidents for years. And what he said, it shaped the early years of my ministry and who I would become as a pastor. Now, here's what Billy Graham said. He said, I'm not for the left wing or the right wing. I'm for the whole bird. <laughs> and I just made a decision that I would dedicate my life to raising the banner of Christ that I'm not going to raise the Republican flag or the Democrat flag. I'm only going to raise the banner of Christ because I believe it is Jesus who changes lives, that governments will come and go, politicians will come and go, candidates will come and go, but Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is Jesus who changes lives for all of us. So here is my question for you. Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Now, here's what you need to know. This series is not meant to keep you from being political. But let me tell you what makes this so complicated. Is everyone in this room says yes to this question right here? This is what you need to understand about each other because our church is about 50% Republican, 50% Democrat. Republicans are absolutely convinced that Jesus would be a Republican because of their values. And Democrats would say that absolutely Jesus would be a Democrat because of his care and his concern for people. And the interesting thing is this, if I were given the assignment to come up with a sermon that would demonstrate that the Republican platform is in sync with the teachings of Jesus, I could do that. And if someone else came up to me and said, Shane, would you create a sermon to show that the Democrat platform is in sync with the teachings of Jesus, I could do that too. Because when you interpret the words of Jesus through your political filter, it is amazing how often Jesus agrees with you. Now, this series is not intended to get you to change political parties or to change political views. It's intended to change the way we respond to one another in this political environment. So with saying all that, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to James chapter 1. Over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about four responses that I believe that we need to have during this season. We're going to talk about civility, dignity, humility, and unity. Today, we're going to talk about this first one. We're going to talk about civility. 
that I believe that we have completely lost the art of civility in our culture. In the past, we could respectfully disagree with someone, but now there is so much anger, and the anger is just boiling underneath the surface. I mean, this hits home for so many people that just a comment that that anger just begins to boil over. That instead of criticizing content, it is now attacking character. Instead of saying, I disagree with you, it has become, you're an idiot because you disagree with me. See, when we criticize content, we're arguing ideas. But when we move to attacking character, we are now judging people, and this is rarely civil. And James, who's the brother of Jesus, James comes along, and he gives us a picture of how a follower of Jesus should respond. Here's what he says, James chapter 1, verse 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this, that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That when you're in conflict or having an argument or a difficult conversation, our ears stop listening and our minds start shutting down and our hearts get hard. And so James says, if we're going to produce the righteousness that God desires, we have to change the way we respond. He says that everyone, everyone should be quick to listen. We should be quick to listen. We have completely forgotten how to listen because most of us, we are so quick to speak and we're slow to listen. And James says, your first priority, the way that this all comes together, your first priority is to be quick to listen, which is exactly what we want other people to do for us. The problem is whenever we are having an argument, whenever we're having a discussion, we are thinking uh, uh, the whole time about how we're going to respond as soon as they take a breath. You know, as soon as there's a break, I'm going to respond here that we're not listening anymore. We fail to listen. See, here's the thing about conflict is we both want the same thing. We want exactly what the person that we're having a conflict wants. Both parties want to be heard and understood. I want you to be quick to listen and slow to speak. And you want me to be quick to listen and slow to speak. I don't want you to argue with me. I just want you to hear me. After all, I can't really hear you until I feel like you have heard me. And you can't hear me until you feel like I have heard you. So we listen to people who don't experience the world the way that we do that you begin to listen to people that don't experience the world the way that you do. See, we all have our biases. Everybody in here, we have our biases. That they are based on your background. They're based on the way that you grew up. They're based on the experiences that you have had in the past. We all have biases that have shaped us. A few years ago, when we had several officer-involved shootings, and then police being targeted and gunned down in Dallas. The racial tension in our country was sky high, and I knew we needed to talk about it. And so I asked a friend of mine who is a, a captain for Metro to come, and I also asked 
a friend of mine who is an African-American pastor in Brooklyn, one of our partner churches that we helped start. I asked him to come so we could have this conversation together. And the night before, we all went out to dinner. And as we're, we're having dinner together, we're just talking about our experiences. We're just talking about what we grew up with, how it was growing up. And Brandon, the African-American pastor, our, our pastor, he was just telling about his experiences, his experiences of, of being targeted because of the color of his skin. He said that when his dad taught him how to drive, his dad told him that if you ever get pulled over, here's what you need to do so that you don't start an incident so nothing happens to you. Well, that didn't happen to me. That when my dad taught me how to drive, he's like, oh, yeah, if you get pulled over, just pull over. You know, I mean, that's all you have to do. I didn't have that experience. And then our metro captain was talking about his experiences. He was talking about his experiences of going into a situation when his life is in danger and making a split-second decision. See, I've never had to deal with any of those things in my life. Listen to people who don't experience the world the way that you do. Listen to their story. Listen to their experiences. Listen to why they believe what they believe. Listen to people who are different than you are. See, we are so often to be quick to speak because we just want to just give them our mind. We want to tell them what we think. And James says, no, no, no. That you be, you be quick to listen and slow to speak. And this is the second part. That we be slow to speak. Literally, this means be late. That when you're talking, you be late to speak. This was my father-in-law. My father-in-law is just a brilliant man. He was the senior vice president of a Fortune 500 company. And he always thought about his words very carefully. That he would think those through before he would talk. But he would be so late in talking, it would be awkward. I would want to talk for him. I, I just want to just kind of just go, okay, let me just tell you what he's thinking right now. <laughs> well, see, that's the idea of this verse right here. That's the idea, that you be late to speak. And I would add, if you have to say something, ask a question. Because the minute I start speaking, I stop listening, which means I stop learning. Now, I'm going to say something that seems so obvious that you might miss it, but I think it's profound. I think it's a deep thing that will help us understand each other. It's this, is that everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them. Everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them. Your behavior makes perfect sense to you. Whenever you're dealing with an experience Whenever something is going on, the way that you react makes perfect sense to you. You don't need to explain it because this just makes sense to you. Everybody's behavior makes perfect sense to them. And everybody's response makes perfect sense to them. Everybody's viewpoint makes perfect sense to them. And everybody's politics make perfect sense to them. When we don't understand, it's because we don't understand. And when you hear yourself saying, I don't know why they would do that. I don't know why they would think that. I don't know why they would believe that. I don't know why they would say that. You've just made a confession. There is something that you don't understand. So it's time for you to listen 
so that you can understand. To have a conversation with someone who is not like you. Now, the problem with social media is, okay, now there's a lot of problems with social media, but one of the problems with social media is the algorithms. That when you click on a news article on Facebook, it is designed that the, that the feed will send you more stories just like that. And the more that you read those stories, the narrower it gets. And it is designed to reinforce what you already believe. In marriage counseling, if you're having problems with communication, one of the things that the marriage counselor might do is to have you repeat what you've just heard so that you can know that I am getting this. You know, what I heard you say is this. You know, what I heard you say is that I look fat in these jeans. No, what I said was you ought to buy new jeans. That's all I said. See, you need to seek to be understood. You become a student and not a critic. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. And then he says this, slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. See, this is both a result and a decision. If you are quick to listen and slow to speak, you are less likely to be angry, and it is easier to guard against becoming angry. We all express anger in different ways. I mean, some of you blow up and some of you clam up. For those of you who blow up, you feel so much better after you do that. Now, nobody else does, but you do. You're like, oh, man, I just feel so much better. I got that off my chest. Everybody else is kind of cleaning up after you, you know. <laughs> but if you clam up, then what you do is you sulk around the house until somebody says, what's wrong? What's wrong? So that you can answer, nothing. <laughs> and it's your way of gaining control of that situation. Remember, anger in and of itself is not a sin. Jesus got angry. The Apostle Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. It is how you respond to your anger that it becomes a sin. And James gives us a formula. That the longer you listen, the more you'll learn, the less angry you will be. The longer you listen, the more you'll learn, the less angry you will be. And now James is going to give us the reason why. James says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He's talking about human anger. He's not talking about righteous anger. Jesus had righteous anger. See, Jesus got angry with the religious leaders who used their religion to mistreat people. They used it as an excuse to mistreat people. That's righteous anger. But human anger is completely different. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires for you and for me. And there's three agendas. There's always three agendas. There's your agenda, there's their agenda, and there's God's agenda. That my anger produces what I desire because I think I'm right and I want you to know that I'm right. See, when your anger produces only what you desire, it goes against what God desires. So James says, therefore, because of all of this, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Now, the meaning of this word moral filth means to dishonor. It means to dishonor somebody. So here's what happens in a lot of our conversations is that you get so heated over a moral issue 
that you dishonor them in the way that you respond, and that is a moral issue. It's dishonoring to them. And what James says is, get rid of that. You don't have to be right. You don't have to prove to everybody you're right. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil. Now, another word, this could also be translated malice. Malice is the desire to get back. Malice is the desire to get even. That's what malice is. He says, get rid of all moral filth when you're dishonoring people. Get rid of that and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. It comes through humility. Lee's going to talk about humility in a couple weeks, how we respond with humility. See, it doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that you give up your political convictions. This means that you hold them with humility instead of holding them like a baseball bat that you beat other people with. Humility says that we are more important than me. That's what humility says. And here he, he responds. He goes, we humbly accept the word planted in us. The word planted in us. You're a follower of Jesus. That the word of Christ is planted in you. He is your greatest loyalty. Remember who you belong to. That you belong to Jesus. So with all of that as a backdrop, let me ask this question again. Are you willing to put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Most Americans create a version of faith that supports their politics. See, this is why this is so emotional for us. And while this series is not intended to get you to change your political party or your political view, this series is intended to change the way that we respond to one another in this political environment. That your political candidate will win or lose based on how the citizens of our country vote in November. However, the church will win or lose based on how we treat one another. That's a higher calling. So how does a follower of Jesus respond with civility? To disagree respectfully. See, when you win an argument, you don't win anything. You have burned a bit bridge and given up on a relationship because you have to be right. You want to be right at each other, and God wants you to be right with each other. Almost every conversion story in the Bible, almost every time somebody came to Christ in the Bible, begins with some kind of a civil conversation. Think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, he went to the city of Athens. And the Apostle Paul didn't say when he arrived in Athens, you are so stupid, you have so many false idols, you've run out of names for them. You even have a false idol that doesn't have a name. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I see that you're very religious. And you even have an altar to an unknown God. Let me tell you about that unknown God. We have to begin to engage in civil conversations if we're going to reach this world for Jesus. We are not going to reach this world through obnoxious Facebook posts. So stop it. We need to get rid of that. We just need to get rid of that. So let me give you four questions to ask yourself as you're responding. 
Four questions that can kind of become this filter for you if you're going to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Here's this first one. Is what I'm going to say true? Now, we, use, we all use hyperbole to make our point. We all do. I mean, I, I can say, you know, the Chiefs are the greatest team of all time. You know, we use hyperbole. But then we begin to take that into these normal discussions. All Democrats are... Republicans don't care about. And so it's beginning to ask yourself, and what I am about to say, is it true? That's question number one. Question number two is, what I'm going to say, is it helpful? Just because something is true does not mean it's helpful. Gossip might be true, but it's not helpful. What is my purpose? Is my purpose to win the argument? Is my purpose to prove you wrong? The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that what should come out of our mouth should be what is helpful for building others up. That's what we should talk about. It should be things that are helpful for building others up. And what I'm about to say, is it helpful? Here's the third thing. Is what I'm going to say personal? See, we can discuss ideas without attacking character. We can discuss ideas without making it personal. You don't have social media debates about something personal. You do that over coffee. That you go and you do that face-to-face. See, when someone makes a discussion personal, I unfollow them. I block them. Whether it's personal towards me or not, I'm just like, I don't need that. I am just going to unfollow you. Words matter. Words matter. Is, is what I'm going to say, is it personal? Am I attacking someone's character? Then here's this last one. Is what I'm going to say loving? Is it loving? If you're going to say loving, then you wouldn't say something that is untrue, unhelpful, or personal. You pause before you hit sin. Just pause. Pause before you post. And ask the question, does this represent Jesus? Because that's our mandate. We're followers of Jesus. Jesus said, all people will know you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. That I want you to love one another the way that I have loved you. That's the way you love one another. So is what I'm about to say, is it loving? Does it represent the love of Jesus? So this becomes our filter. Is what I'm going to say, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it personal? Is it loving? And if it's not, then we need to say, okay, I need to reword this. I love what author Frederick Buchner says. That he says this. He says, although kindness is not the same thing as holiness, it's awfully close. I think this is so true. It's learning kindness in our culture. Learning to be kind. That here is the goal of this series. It's to disagree politically and to love unconditionally. This is the goal. That wherever you are politically, that we can disagree, but we can love unconditionally. And so my challenge for you over these next few weeks and months is to look for an opportunity to love unconditionally someone with whom you disagree politically. 
And maybe you say, I don't even know anybody that I disagree with politically. That's a problem. That's a problem. Would you become a student and not a critic? Would you become a student? Learn their story. Learn their background, their experiences, why they think the way that they do. It may give you more compassion and empathy for them. Become a student and not just this critic attacking somebody else's character. Otherwise, you will discount every piece of information that doesn't fit into your potentially flawed worldview. We must listen and learn and love that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. See, that is how a follower of Jesus responds. That is how we begin to change our world. That's how we begin to change the conversations with the people around us. And instead of worrying about, yeah, but them, we're called to do this. And so I want to pray with you. I want us to pray together. But maybe this is for you. Maybe there is just anger that is just right below the surface. It's just this anger that spews out because of the things that are said and the way that you take that and the way that you hear that. And maybe it's time just to lay that at the feet of Jesus Say, I need you to take this anger from me. Would you help me just to be quick to listen, to listen to other people's experiences, to listen to their stories, slow to speak, so that I represent the righteousness of God. God, we come to you, and this is such a difficult subject for us because there is so much emotion there is so much hateful rhetoric in our culture. And so God, would you help us to make the first priority to be quick to listen, slow to speak, to take this anger that we deal with that does not represent Jesus. And would you take that from us? God, would you help us to respond in a way that that loves people the way that Jesus loves them. So God, we give this to you. We trust in you. We trust in Jesus, that Jesus is the name above every name. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That politicians will come and go. Political parties will come and go. But it is Jesus who brings hope to this world, and our hope is placed in him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.